Hey, I'm Kathy Walker from the Girls' Day School Trust, the GDST. We're a family of 25 girls' schools across the UK. We were founded by women for girls 150 years ago, and to this day, we remain experts in educating and inspiring girls. On each episode of Raise Their Up, we welcome guests who are experts in their fields to share their insights and to create the ultimate guide to raising and empowering girls, women, and everybody else. We welcome the stories and advice that help us as parents, carers, educators and friends to instill the confidence and drive in girls to become the change makers that the world really needs. On this episode, I'm joined by award-winning clinical psychologist, Dr. Nahara Kraus. If you're more self-aware, you know, what you need then is the ability to be able to act on that self-awareness and to say, this isn't right for me. And if this isn't right for me, then I need to be able to back that up by saying this isn't right for me. And that means no. In addition to her work in the NHS and in her own practice, Dr. Krause has contributed to government policy around mental health to enhance mental health and resilience. And in 2011, she set up the teenage mental health charity STEM4. From the GDST, this is Raise Her Up. And this is Dr. Nahara Krause. And I think again, one of I the things... I thought what's going through her was that's what we're giving, isn't it? As a parent, we're giving our love. <laughs> Raise, Raise Her Up. up. Nahara, thank you so much for being here with us today and for affirming just how empowering saying no can be. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Let's start by asking you, um, Nahara, you work extensively with a range of young and older people. What's your perception on the uh, general state of our mental health at this moment in time? Well, I think the general health, mental health of everyone has been fluctuating over the last several years. Sadly, rather more downs than ups. Uh, but it's probably true to say that post-pandemic, because of the loneliness that people have experienced, because of the anxiety and the change that people have experienced, that's really taken a toll on everyone's mental health. I think the good news is that we're talking about it. The good news is that people are a lot more open to accepting help. So we're in a better place to start to do something about it. On the more general topic of mental health, tell us about your award-winning charity, STEM4. What prompted you to set it up and, and how might a young person use it? System 4 has been established for 10 years. I'm the founder of the charity and I founded it because I really wanted to focus on early intervention. Um, I was working at the time in the NHS with young people who were very seriously unwell and there was an opportunity, very sadly, because of the bereavement of a young person subsequent to an eating disorder, where I really wanted to think a little bit about how schools, parents and young people could access really good psychological information and help. So the way that people can access the charities in a number of different ways, we've got a wealth of resources on our website, stem4.org.uk. Um, I've created four mental health apps and they're for different conditions. So three are for young people. One is for young people to help support a friend who might be going through a difficult stage. And I'm in the process of also creating another new app. And we've also got a whole resource for schools is a teaching program on mental health. Wow, a busy time for you then. You never stop, never stop learning. 
Indeed. Yes. So the title of this particular episode is is How to Say No. So let's talk a bit about the concept of people pleasing. Is this a relatively recent term? I mean, don't most people want to uh, keep others on side and be helpful? Where does it stem from? Can you perhaps give us the psychological context of this? Are we programmed to say yes? Why would that be? So I think, first of all, people pleasing as a term is probably new, but as a concept is certainly not a new one. Um, So first of all, let's talk about what we mean when we talk about people pleasing. So it's about putting others' needs in front of yours. So that's not a bad thing, but it's in a way that negatively impacts yourself. So that bit is the bit that then doesn't always get the best results for you. Um, I like the term programmed because programmed infers infers some sort of learning that goes with it. And I think what I would probably say is that wanting to belong and to be accepted is a basic human need. So earning approval by saying yes is a way to get this. But this behavior you might be doing because you feel you have to. You have to give in. You have to say yes. And there's a number of different reasons for why people do that. Yes. Saying yes can help you to feel part of a tribe. But what kind of toll does that take on us if we say yes all the time? Well, I think we have to look at the um, reasons behind why a person says yes. Uh, So if you feel that you are compelled to comply, it's worth starting to think a bit about what that says to you about you. One of the things we know about people's behavior, all of us, is that we respond to either reward or punishment. So if you are always complying, if you're not saying no to people, if you're people pleasing, then are you doing it because there's some sort of reward? So if you're doing it because it makes you feel good, you haven't made the other person feel bad, you've spared their feelings. Are you doing it because you want to appear to be a not difficult person? You're an easygoing, you're a chilled person. Is that a sufficient reward for you? Or are you doing it because you don't want to feel guilty that somehow you've, you know, not let them down in some way or indeed avoided conflict? So if all of those things are a reward to you, then the impact is probably not going to feel as bad because somehow you've got something from it. But often people don't say no because they fear punishment. So they they do it because they feel bad and then they end up worrying about potential punishment. So in which case, then it makes you feel on an edge um, and also feeling like somehow you haven't been true to yourself. It's interesting hearing you saying that the reward for some people in saying yes is to not feel guilty, for example. Mm-hmm. Surely... It would be wonderful to get past the feeling guilty and that would be the reward. I would love to be able to feel comfortable with the, with the act of saying no. Absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a long way to go, isn't there? In terms of, first of all, us recognizing what we want to be able to support ourselves in being able to voice what we want and to be able to voice that in an assertive way so that we don't end up feeling guilty because guilt is a terrible emotion. I think if you're guilty because you have actually carried out something negative, uh, then of course own that. But most of the time, the feeling of guilt is a real weight on our shoulders. It dictates everything we do in not the best way for ourselves. Absolutely. So 
Nehara, you know that we are the Girls' Day School Trust. You are a GDST mum yourself. Mm-hmm. And we want to raise empowered young women who I hope will become agents of change for the future. Is the inability to say no something that affects women and girls more than men and boys? And I, I ask because as women, we are... Oh, we are aware of the pressure on us to be everything to everyone. I think, you know, we need to be brilliant, organized mums. We need to look a certain way. If we work, then we have to be both on top of our game professionally, as well as, you know, a a brilliant mum when we come home at the end of the day. And obviously younger women might feel the pressure to look good, to perform well academically. You know, what is your view on this? Are there as many male people pleasers as female First of all, I think it's really hard to separate out whether there is some sort of gender-based, you know, neurobiological change or whether a lot of it is around socialization. And because socialization happens so early, almost from the time that we are born. So there is some indication that potentially the fear response uh, might, there might be a difference in the fear response between male and female genders. Uh, And certainly if you're more fearful, then you might want to avoid conflict by saying no. What I would say in terms of my own clinical practice and experience is that I don't think the experience of fear is any different between the genders. I think it's more the expression of how you deal with fear that's different. So there's something in our socialization that permits men almost to be able to be aggressive or be angry in a way that is much, much harder for girls or for women. Uh, there's something about having to be polite, having to be nice that perhaps comes right the way from very early. That's really interesting. That chimes with something I read in um, a book by another of our uh, Razor Up um, contributors, uh, Pragya Agarwal, who does talk about this idea of gendered emotions, about women internalising societal expectations to be more nurturing, more patient. And I guess that that does manifest itself in the inability and the the discomfort of, of displeasing, of saying no. Absolutely. So I think it's about recognising, I guess, that that what our feeling might be, and if it's an angry feeling, to be able to find a way to express that assertively uh, and in a way that kind of carries impact with you. The other bit that, again, is hard to separate out between neurobiological and social is the expression of feelings. So there is some literature that would say that potentially uh, girls are able to perhaps access uh, a, a kind of a vocabulary for feelings a bit quicker. Early on, they're more likely to think, how will my behavior affect the other person if I say no? And also a bit more around the regulation of emotions. So the emotional regulation is in itself a concept that's looked at in terms of resilience. And people talk about brain maturity and differences in brain maturity. And it might well be that that ability to regulate your emotions happens a little earlier for girls than boys. And these are huge generalizations and I absolutely hate doing that. But does that make girls and women more conscientious? And does that conscientiousness then make it much harder to say no? So it's a really interesting area to start to look at. My kind of gut feel is that right from the start, there is an expectation that somehow girls have to be more agreeable. We have to be more patient. We have to be more conscientious. Um, And that then sort of 
leads to certain behaviours. What I find really fascinating there is that, you know, we as teachers, as parents, we want our young people to be able to self-regulate. We want them to be really self-aware because we want them to be able to relate to other people uh, with success. Yet what you're saying is the more self-aware you are, (laughs) the more aware you are of other people's feelings and and the less likely you are to do right by yourself by saying no, I guess. Yes, but also if you're more self-aware, it might be that you, you know, what you need then is the ability to be able to act on that self-awareness yes. and to say, this isn't right for me. And if this isn't right for me, then I need to be able to back that up by saying, this isn't right for me. And that means no. Brilliant. Well, that's, we've got our perfect soundbite there, Nahara. So thank <laughs> you very much for that. That was perfect. Now, on each episode of Raise Her Up, we speak to a member of our GDSD family to get their perspective on the matter at hand. And today I'm here speaking to Deputy Head Pastoral Laura Knowles from Oxford High School. So, Laura, we are speaking to Nihara Krauss about the power of saying no and how we can feel empowered to sit with that discomfort of, you know, saying no when something doesn't feel quite right to us. That must be quite an important part of your job. So it'd be lovely to hear your thoughts on all of that. It's about getting that balance between saying yes to the right things um, and saying no to the right things as well. Being a teenager is really difficult. And when you're building those foundations, especially when you've joined a new school, so for example, our year sevens, being able to understand what behaviours within a friendship are not okay and being able to set some boundaries yourself in those first relationships, they can look at a friendship and think, okay, these behaviours are what I'd be expecting from a from a nice friend, from a good friend, but also looking at those behaviours that maybe aren't okay and being able to stand up for yourself when you're 11 or 12, for example, can be really tricky. We talk about clinginess and clingy friendships, thinking in the long term about how that's then adapted when it comes to relationships and setting boundaries in relationships. We know that those teenage relationships can sometimes be all-consuming um, and being able to understand what is okay and what isn't okay regarding your own independence can be really tricky when you're going through that for the first time. I think what's also really crucial is in all relationships, they might not work out. So actually, how do you have those conversations when if within a friendship or a relationship when you're older, there's behaviours that are not in keeping with what you would be expecting a partner or a friend to, to behave like, I think if we can embed that in early when we're looking at friendships in particular, it will mean that when it comes to those romantic relationships later on, you've developed some of those communication skills that you need in order to say no. We talk as well as they get older, so particularly within our year 11s, we do talk about the idea of continued consent as well and that you know consent isn't just saying yes or no the first time, it's about continuing to be happy with the boundary that you have set within your relationship and actually if that changes that's something that you need to be able to feel comfortable to have that conversation with your with your partner last year we looked at some songs from um the early noughties the songs that we looked at were all targeted very much on this idea of girls in particular in a relationship suggesting that uh, sexual elements was going to happen and then changing their mind through the process um, and we depicted some of the lyrics and we looked at it and i think it was an insight really into that that actually was everywhere and you know some of the bands that we were looking at it's the type of bands that you know 13 year olds would have been listening to we wrote the lyrics uh, And we looked at how you'd actually expect that conversation to go if you were with a partner, that you had mutual respect, trust, 
and you'd had those conversations about boundaries, how you'd expect that person to react. Just an awareness that that really is out there and in school, it's very much our job to raise awareness of that. Saying no is really very closely tied to consent, isn't it? And happily, we are, in addition to talking more about mental health these days, we are also talking more about the importance and the validity of consent and saying no, regardless of how we look. But if young people are feeling the pressure to please others, as you say, and that, that you know, societally they are more likely to say yes than, than young men, are they more likely to do something that they're not comfortable doing, including in their platonic and their sexual relationships? Um, I'd say yes. So I completely agree with you that we are making huge strides in terms of encouraging people to understand, learn about consent, but also to be able to feel that they can. Um, So we talked about compliance before, and I think very closely connected with that concept is conformity. And I think that there is something about conformity. You don't want to feel different. You don't want to perhaps spoil somebody's kind of request or the kind of pressure that they might be putting on you by appearing to say no or not wanting to go along with it. So what I would say is think about that and think that consent is all about communication. It's about being able to communicate with yourself about saying, I don't feel right in this situation. And it's also about learning how to communicate that to the other person. It's about understanding what that other person is also trying to communicate to you. You know, you need permission. You need to feel that you've given permission or the other person needs to feel that they need to ask for permission. Uh, It's not a given right that you just think you know what the other person is feeling and that you can go along with it. And that also that it's absolutely fine to change your mind and say no at that point in time too. So even if you enter into something saying yes, you can also say no if it starts to feel that it's not right. Yes, absolutely. And and that, that certainly bats away that idea of, you know, well, you said yes before, so that means yes now. Yeah. Let's go back to what you said about, about communication there. Um, I saw a meme not long ago that really made me laugh, but in a slightly cynical way. And it was, um, the future is female, uh, but no probs if not. And I thought, I have written so many emails like that. You know, would you be able to diss me? But, but really no problem if you're too busy. Yeah, I can, I can do it myself otherwise. <laughs> so how do we get past that? You know, how, how do we say no? without backing out of saying no, if you see what I mean. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so loads of tips. So first of all, I think what will be really helpful is to separate out aggression, assertion, and some sort of passively communicated assertion, which actually is either passive aggression or not. So I'm going to talk about all three of those. So firstly, to be assertive, you need to be clear. And part of that clarity is to be able to just get one point through, don't apologize and don't soften the blow. So that was that wonderful meme that you saw. So be clear, don't apologize. And the other is that if you really look at very assertive people, so you might take politicians, for example, they repeat what they're saying in lots of different ways. They don't give an excuse. They don't give a massively long explanation. They don't back out on themselves. They just say the same thing. 
in a number of different ways, sometimes infuriatingly, but they do repeat. And there is something about that sort of slightly broken record technique that can really help to get your message through. So don't be afraid to, to repeat that. The other way, I think, is to practice saying no. I know that sounds daft, but when you're brushing your teeth in the mirror in the mornings, if you really want to be assertive to a friend that day, just practice saying no, because it's really difficult to say no. Think about your face. Is your face making an apology even though your words are saying no? Is your body making an apology? Are you all crouched down? Are you all kind of, you know, cowering in some way when you say it? So practice it so that you're you're assertive and you're communicating that both verbally as well as non-verbally. And then sometimes I think another way with being assertive is to put the question back at that person so that if they say to you, maybe you do want to kind of do my homework for me, you know, you might want to put that question back to them. So you might want to say, no, I don't want to do that. But how do you think you might like to go about doing it for you? What kind of help might you like to get? rather than actually help from me. So that's another way to start being assertive. So a kind of reframing. Reframing. And I think it's also helpful sometimes to understand the tactics of people uh, in terms of when they kind of uh, ask you things. So social pressure, other people are doing it. So why don't you? And you immediately think, well, I'm the odd one out then if I say no. So recognize that and don't comply. It's absolutely fine to be you and to say just because other people are doing it doesn't mean that I have to as well. And I think talking about consent, that's definitely something to keep in mind. And then sometimes people present things as a statement. So are you going to do this or this rather than could you please? And again, don't fall into the trick then of saying, okay, well, then I'll do that. You just need to be aware and to be able to go, even though the question doesn't have a no or yes to it, if my answer is a no, I say no. Okay. So we don't say sorry. We don't soften the blow. We can repeat. Uh, we, we don't have to excuse or explain. The broken record technique, we can reframe. And we need to recognize social pressure at all. So I'm actually thinking about it, about how I might start using these techniques to say no to my children, actually, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of, of any other situations. Um, let's, let's talk about the parents' role in this. Um, what, what is our role and responsibility in this issue? What, what can parents and carers be modeling, doing, saying, explaining to, to empower our children to say no? Um, but just not to say no to us, yeah? No. <laughs> yes, well, so parents are fantastic role models. So first of all, think a little bit about how you might present your way of being assertive. People talk all the time about the importance of boundaries. Boundaries are really important and part of parental boundaries are about saying no. But far more important is to say to yourself as a parent, why do I have a problem in setting a boundary? And that question is actually often very useful to think about. So you might kind of go, well, actually, I've got a really clever child who kind of can talk me out of anything. <laughs> so is it that I then feel like I don't want to lose face? So as a parent, do I back out of saying no, because I don't want to lose face? And if that's what it is, how do I back up my views? And how do I make sure that I save face? Sometimes parents don't want conflict, or they themselves might have a history of being intimidated in their own lives, whether it comes from their own parents or from their own relationships. If you don't like conflict and yet saying no brings about that conflict, then do some work on that. 
There are some parents who fear rejection. They feel that if they say no, their child might not like them as much. And so again, look at that, explore that and think about what that means to you as you. And part of that is also thinking a little bit about the parental relationship, because if you don't have consistency in parenting, then that fear of rejection might be played out even more, because it might be that you think, well, I'll say no, I won't be liked, but the other parent who says yes will be. And then you will have a difference in terms of parenting. And I think some of those things about yourself as a parent are really important. Yes, I'm sure that will be resonating. Yes. You know, the parent that says yes and the parent that says no. Yes. But otherwise, I think it's very much about being able to have a set of what's negotiable, what's not negotiable. I think it's absolutely worth re-looking at some of those rules and boundaries as a child, young person develops, because some of the uh, rules that you might have said no to, you may want to reconsider based on developmental stage on the maturity of the person? Will they be able to manage that in some way? Um, and also to give them a space to explain to you why they want you to reconsider that no. Uh, and if they give you a good enough reason and they're prepared to show you that they can be responsible, because ultimately you want to be able to hand that autonomy to the young person to be able to take on the good rules that you've imposed and then to be able to say no themselves, then you need to be able to also create that flexibility through parenting. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. So in, in preparation for our conversation, I was thinking about when we should actually say yes. And I was thinking about the um, the conflicting messages that we sometimes get. So my my kids during lockdown made me watch a film called Yes Day, mm -hmm. in which parents had to say yes to everything all day. And they have been lobbying me for a yes day within our family since. And I ironically have said no <laughs> so far. Um, but I'm also, also thinking about, you know, all those, all those messages out there, you know, seize the opportunity, just do it, etc. When should we be saying yes? Yes, I love that question. And I've really, I'm really, really pleased that you've asked that because actually there's loads of information on how to say no and actually not much at all on when and how to say yes. <laughs> so A number one is if you are saying no as avoidance, so you're fearful of saying yes, then I think it's really important that you say yes. So if somebody's asking you to do something that's out of your comfort zone, let's go and try a new skill. Let's go and try travel something. Let's start, try and, you know, stand up and kind of impart a message. And you're, you are saying no because you're scared of it. Then absolutely change that to a yes, because that yes will, will help you. So a, for avoidance. Second A is for accomplishment. If we don't say yes to certain things, we don't accomplish them. Okay. So say yes as a way of accomplishing something new. So if your children want a yes day and it's to accomplish something, <laughs> yeah. whatever that might be, I'd say, say yes. Okay. <laughs> and the third one, and it ties in with your wonderful question about asking me about STEM4 and my charity, is say yes to being altruistic. If you are doing something that is generously giving or is being kind, absolutely say yes to that. Because that <clears throat> we know that 
being altruistic is one of the best um, resilience factors. It absolutely helps us to be better people. It helps us to learn how to be more robust. It benefits us too. Oh, Nahara, that's a, just a perfect way to end this conversation, which I ha- I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was just so, oh, so spot on. Avoidance, accomplishment, altruistic. Yeah, it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And I've made lots and lots of notes just for me. I think they're going to go on the fridge. Join me on the next episode of Razor Up when my guest will be politician and former cabinet minister, Baroness Saeed Abarsi. I just got used to one working in male spaces, but white spaces. When I walked into cabinet, I was the only person of colour around the cabinet table. I was the first person of colour that we had had as chairman of a mainstream political party. I'll see you next time. That's what we're giving, isn't it? As a parent, we're giving our love. Razor Up.